Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the Town Hall Academy. It's a summit for the forever aftermarket student, and you know that. Are you confident in your strategy and methods to build and attract new customers? Well, this episode may just rock your world. Here's a taste. The person is predisposed to accept your advice on making sure they come back in for uh, additional services or for regular maintenance. They're predisposed because you brought in the exact right person that you want to bring in, somebody that's going to know and trust you and build rapport with you very quickly because you have shared common interests or whatever, and you have all that baked into your marketing already. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here. Now, no doubt that you were one of the best techs in your community. Now, you either had the urge to own your own business or saw the spoils that the shop owner you worked for had. So you made the leap, found a location, and put up your shingle open for business. Hey, have you struggled keeping the flow of customers running toward your business? This episode will hit hard, especially if you're engaged in marketing and the results are less than stellar. Hey, I want to thank Jasper Engines for their strong support of the Town Hall Academy. Keep them in mind as you learn from these free webinars that go deeper than the headlines. Now, you know, performance and reliability, that's what Jasper's remanufactured diesel engines provide mile after mile. Their running completed engines are dynamometer tested with horsepower and torque ratings recorded. Now, there's a nationwide warranty included, too. Talk about dependable service. Jasper. Engines.com. Hey, welcome to the Aftermarket Super Learning Highway. Our purpose is to help bring fresh and innovative discussion to inspire you and grow individuals and companies. Today is no exception. Hey, find the key talking points and my guest bios at remarkableresults.biz slash A111. Hey, in just a minute, meet David Roman from Done With Care Auto Repair from Merriam, Kansas, and Greg Bunch from Aspen Auto Clinic, Colorado Springs, and also the founder of Transformers Institute. Now, let me say that David and Greg brought their A-game to this discussion. It covered a wide spectrum of strategies on customer growth and trust. We enveloped the marketing side of finding new customers and then how to complete the relationship once your service writer brought them in from the phone call and into the shop. David says that the big deception in opening a business is you think you're going to do what you're good at doing. However, you must be good at marketing to make the phone ring. Now, the CEO must make the phone ring or you're going to have to spend money to hire a professional to do it. Now, Greg says that we must educate new clients on who we are, what we do, and why we do it. Greg wants you to invite your new customers for a tour of the shop and to talk to the tech about the findings of their inspection. He says that your customer struggles to find a trustworthy mechanic, so if you want to build a long-term customer, communicate and earn their trust. Now, David Roman and Greg Bunch join me for a great lesson on building new customers. So we're going to talk about building new customers. We're going to take a couple of different perspectives on this. Greg is going to say, hey, they're in the door. Um, I'm going to make him a customer. I'm going to work hard. He's going to talk about his tactics for that. And David is going to basically say, hey, listen, let's let's look at the value of how we reach out to the customers, even if they're not in our door, David. And I know you're so passionate about the fact that new customers come at a price. Explain that to me. The idea that you can get customers for nothing 
uh, is false, right? If we just put out some Facebook posts, uh, word of mouth is usually what everybody says. Just give really good service and they'll, and they'll tell other people with absolutely no systems set up to make sure that you're capturing those referrals. So there is a notion out there that you can uh, avoid buying new customers. And I don't believe that's true. I think you're going to pay, you have to pay some type of advertising, part of an overall marketing plan to make sure you have a steady stream of new customers coming in the door. Now, when we get them in the door, Greg, uh, we've got to figure out how to build rapport with them and, and, and engage them in the business. There's a lot that starts on the phone call. And so, you know, we train our advisors and at the Transformers Institute, we do a lot of phone skills training. Um, we've listened to probably six, 7,000 inbound phone calls to find out what, what words, what phrases, uh, what tone is needed to get a customer either in the door or to say, okay, thanks, bye. And, you know, not only do we listen to Aspen's phone calls, but we've listened to hundreds of phone calls from other shops and we're, we're listening for this pattern. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Why did somebody say that? Um, and, and sometimes it's just, it, it, it could be literally the service advisor doesn't use the wrong words, but they have the wrong tone of voice. They don't sound like, Hey, Carm, I really want to introduce myself to you. I want, I want to meet you. I want you to come in. I'm excited that you're willing to do business with me. It's like, Oh gosh, here's another customer trying to get in the door. We're already backed up. Man, I can't put him off any longer. He just wants a stinking oil change. And so that that attitude, that that phrase, those, those things come out of the service provider's mouth. And the and the person on the other line can hear and say, these guys really aren't interested in having my business. So to me, we train building rapport, uh, getting the name of the customer out as soon as possible. And then you start using their name in the conversation, introducing yourself. So they have a connection with somebody there. You're just not a nameless, faceless person on the other end of the phone. You become a personality to them. You, you, you show that you care about them, that you're interested in, in taking care of their problem, not just taking their money, but taking care of their problem, inviting them in. Uh, we're very big on setting the appointment. Like if, if you call your doctor, and, and, you know, most doctors, it's hard to get a phone, got hard to get an appointment. So if they say, Hey, can you come here at two o'clock on Friday? You're like, heck yeah, I will be there. You move the world to make that happen. Isn't and, it? <laughs> but they make you feel locked in. They're like, okay, we're going to reserve, you know, uh, Dr. Jones for you, uh, Dr. Jones. Uh, and you know that you have to be there on time. You know that there's going to be paperwork to fill out. You're obligated to that appointment. Well, how many, we've listened, like I said, thousands of phone calls. Okay, yeah, swing on by, would you get a chance? Well, they, you haven't obligated that customer to come in at all. They're like, well, if I come in, great. If I don't, it doesn't sound like they're, they're going to miss me. It sounds like they're pretty busy anyway. So um, building that on the phone and, and having that conversion rate from phone call to appointment, to me, is the very beginning of that relationship. You know, what I love is going on inside the industry. There's more webinars, there's more online, there's more groups, there's more recordings being listened to. And I think what our industry realized uh, not too long ago, actually, maybe two or three years, is that being a service advisor is really an art and a science. Absolutely. And, you know, so much of what I think we're, it's going to come out here today on, on how we build new customers really does start with the phone. Yet, you know, you, you did a thing, David, about the word of mouth is a cop out. You know, it says, hey, this just doesn't work. Well, what does work? Well, I uh, just to go back to what Greg said real quick, I cannot. 
uh, stress that point enough. That can't be overemphasized, the conversion, right? All of your marketing, all of your advertising that you do is designed to do one thing and one thing only, is to get the phone to ring. Right. Most shops don't have a lead generation, so they need to make that distinction between lead generation and lead conversion. Most shops don't have a lead generation problem. They're getting enough phone calls just from being in business long enough, from being a specialty shop, just from word of mouth or an online presence or whatever. They're getting enough phone calls, and where they're dropping the ball is in converting that lead into an appointment. And so what Greg said cannot be overemphasized. It's not just setting the skills, right? It's really important to make sure you have the right tonality on the, uh, on the phone and that you're sounding enthusiastic and that you're sure and confident in your product. But it has to be tracked too. You have to have hard numbers. Absolutely. You have to make sure you're checking to see how many of those phone calls are coming in, how many of them are actually converting, and do I actually have a problem on the phone? Listening to phone recordings is extremely important, right? But just having hard numbers to determine where those leads coming from and which ones are converting and which ones aren't converting so you can maybe direct some of your advertising dollars to a better lead source, if that right. makes sense. It does. Um, by the way, David uh, was with uh, us in shop. Talk for gaining new customers through marketing automation, and uh, that was a great episode that we did uh, a while back, back in uh, back in October. Thank you for being here. You said something so important, and we talk about it a lot. Business coaches like Greg are on this really hard, and that the CEO's job is to make the phone ring. Uh, right. You you guys probably run into CEOs that just don't understand that part. Right. I, it's not just that. It's, I think that's the, the, the big, uh, deception in opening a business, right? You think you're going to go do what you're really good at doing. What you find out is what you have to, is what you actually have to do is be really good at getting customers to buy what you're really good at doing. And that's what you end up having to become is just really, really good at marketing. And then once you become really good at marketing, you get really confident in marketing. You never worry about where your next customer is coming. You never worry about sales. You really don't worry. You end up worrying about all the back-end stuff that Greg helps you with, really. Uh, you know, setting systems and building rapport on the phone and making sure your, your techs are efficient and that kind of thing. But learning those skills on the front end and learning how to pull in customers effectively is the most important skill any shop owner or any business owner can have. Um, because, Absolutely. again, without customers, you're not going to get a sale. We've, uh, we've hired ex-shop owners that are just the absolute most phenomenal technicians our industry has. So it wasn't that they had a lack of skill in fixing cars. It was they had a lack of skill in marketing and learning how to make the phone ring and understanding the importance, uh, exactly what David was talking about. So, you know, I, I talk about, I think in my rant a couple weeks ago, you know, bringing your toolbox home. It's no longer about being a really, really good technician when you own a business. It's about being a really, really good business owner and, uh, I agree with David. One of the number one things that you have to do is have a good marketing plan. So whether you hire a company that is experts in that and help you, if that's not your skill set, or if you learn that skill, um, that's it's it's the difference maker. Absolutely. And going back to one of the things that that you mentioned, uh, Carm, you you said the rapport building uh, starts on the phone. Uh, I would have to slightly disagree with you. I think you can build start building rapport in your marketing before they even call. For years and years and years, just think of a bell curve, right? For years and years and years, everybody uh, went after the fat part of the bell curve. Everybody. Mm. Uh, now, 
with social media, with uh, just the internet and all of the tools available and just the prices of things like direct mail going down so much, now you can start chasing you as an individual shop owner, you as a small business owner can start chasing the long tails, right? You can start going after really small niches, right? Mm -hmm. So I know a shop owner that uh, likes to train dogs on the side. Now, think of him incorporating his dog training and his love and passion for dogs into his marketing. All of a sudden, he's building rapport with people that love the same things that he does. So he's pulling in a certain type of person that if he's just doing generic general type of marketing, again, going after that fat part of the curve, right. um, he's not going to pull in that type of person. So there's already a connection rapport built into your marketing. So when they call, there's already a little bit of trust built into there, into that phone, first phone conversation. They're going to be much easier to convert. They're going to be easier to, do, uh, to speak to, right? You're going to be able to get excited very quickly and passionate about what you're talking about because the conversations are going to be about the car, the conversation is going to be about what they're passionate about too, maybe their dog. I was talking to another shop owner. He said that he, he had a big ticket and he was able to sell the ticket by just sitting down and talking to the person about uh, his dentist. He got into a mm -hmm. conversation about the census, but you see the importance of rapport building, but it can be built, baked into, let's say that way, baked into your marketing on the forefront. Right. I love it. Good stuff. David, have, have you read Seth Gooden's new book, This Is Marketing? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished it on my plane ride home from Calgary this past week, and I took so many notes. It is, I have to tell you, what a beautiful book. And um, Repeat it, because I, I, I look, and that is one of my apps. Seth Gooden's a man. I love Seth Gooden, uh, you know, and that is I've read a bunch of his books. That's probably the best book and a must read for every shop owner. If you want to get into marketing, if you want to become a really good marketer, the very first book I recommend anybody read is This is Marketing by Seth Godin. It sets the framework for what you should be doing. It, it's easy to read. Um, it, it, it's amazing when I read a book and I think about our industry and I'm always trying to say, how can I extrapolate things that are going on with us and the challenges that we have? And this book kind of nailed it. And and so it's up on my pe books page on the website. And I encourage anyone who you know who wants to see the Seth Gooden book, This Is Marketing, or just go get it, audio, whatever. But David and I are saying, read it. <laughs> read it. It's important. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something controversial. Go. People have talked about, you know, budgeting. What, when, a store, when a shop or any business, for that matter, is struggling, what's, what's the first two things people cut? Marketing and their own salary. I am in agreement that you got to cut your own salary because if you're not being the CEO that you should, you deserve to have your pay cut. I agree with that. The second is marketing. And I've told people, if I had a choice between spending money on marketing or rent, I'm going to spend it on marketing. Because at least I have a chance to get the phone to ring, get customers in the door, get some money back in the bank and pay my rent and uh, ask for some mercy from my, from my uh, landlord. But if I just take that money and pay the rent, I'm just prolonging a, my death. So I've, uh, I've had shop owners look at me cross-eyed when I've said that, but hopefully that sinks in with somebody. You've had the, what are you, crazy man look? Yes, yes. <laughs> More than once in my life, if you can believe that. The reason why they look at you crazy, the reason why <laughs> they get nervous is because they have no plan. They have no way to turn those marketing dollars into actual sales. And they stress about it. They're like, well, I'm going to go spend three, four, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on, on marketing, right? And they really, they're just buying advertising is what they're doing. But they're, 
they buy direct mailer pieces or a bunch of uh, Google AdWords or whatever, and they don't see it convert. Right. The type of marketing you should be doing, right? This is an old Dan Kennedy thing. The type of marketing you should be doing, this is hyperbolic too, is you cut the check for the advertising and enough sales come in for you to then run to the bank, deposit that cash to cover the check. <laughs> That's I, how effective and predictable your marketing should be. I had a feeling you were a student of Dan Kennedy from the very beginning, David. <laughs> my shelf over here, you guys can't see, has quite a bit of his, uh, his material uh, stacked up on my bookshelf. I'm I'm happy. It was like a match. This 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 uh, this academy panel um, just is, is coming together so nicely. Let's jump into a little systematized stuff from you, Greg. Uh, you've got a red jacket process that you put new customers through. Correct. Yeah. So if a new customer, we identify them on the phone. We identify them when they come in the door, and everybody knows that uh, we need to impress the heck out of this person. We know that it takes three to four visits from a, uh, you know, if the, if the, if they're a new customer, they found us on Google AdWords, direct mail, something like that. I mean, referrals are a little bit easier to get them into the fold of making us their permanent mechanic. Um, but if you get somebody off the street for an oil change, we know that when you bring them in, you're going to have to impress them not just once, but three or four times. And it's, it's really, it, we copied this. It's, it's the same kind of statistics in the restaurant industry. So we put that uh, hard copy ticket, into a red jacket so the technician knows, the service writer knows, the store manager knows, uh, the general service staff knows, everybody knows this is a new customer, and we pull out the stops to impress them. Uh, once it, we're in that red folder, they know that that person's getting a shop tour. Uh, there was an informal study that we did and found out that 50% of the general public want to meet the person touching their car. The other 50% are just fine with the, the service rider relationship. They really don't care who's working on their car. But think about that. 50% want to meet the technician. So uh, we include with a new customer a shop tour. So we have impressive shops. They're clean. Um, they're well lit. Uh, we, we don't have anything offensive. We don't let you know tires pile up in the corner most days. Um, and so we're proud of our shop. And so we bring them back. We introduce them to the technicians. Uh, they let them ask questions. Uh, we've had technicians that are very good about building confidence with the, um, with the, the, the new client saying, hey, you know what? Um, I, I really love working on Toyotas. I see that you drive a Toyota. That's one of my favorite cars. I've worked on thousands of them. Uh, you know, but believe me when I say that there's nothing on your vehicle that, that I haven't seen before and we're going to get you back on the road safely. And you just see that stress level melt off of that tech, off of that customer or client and they feel confident with with the person that they're meeting and honestly as a uh, a recovering flat rate uh, master technician myself when i was introduced to the customer i had a i had a picture of that family in my face in my in my mind so as i'm servicing that car it's not just a piece of metal to me that i'm servicing there was actually that okay that that was that nice couple that came in that that i met i really need to do a great job i need to wipe the grease off the steering wheel a little bit better um, cause technicians, they tend to look at it as a piece of equipment that they're fixing. They don't look at it, that there's a family, there's people that are driving that vehicle and there's a relationship behind there. Agree, David. Oh, absolutely. And and it's not just, look, if, you know, you see pictures of some other shops, uh, I, Greg, Greg, your, your shops are gorgeous. I mean, they're like the best of the best, right? They're beautiful, beautiful locations. My shop, not so much. I mean, it's an older building. It was built 1929. You know, oh, wow. we've got the uh, the the walk-in. Uh, the the lobby's nice. It's clean. It's well lit, right? 
I think that's important. Whatever, control what you can control, but leverage what you have. Absolutely. You know, if you were, uh, I, would, I have a friend who's a one-man shop in Michigan. He's a one-man shop, and his lobby is literally just a, a teeny tiny space for you to stand on. So what can he leverage that he uh, he doesn't have the, the the giant, beautiful building with the splash lighting and all that? He doesn't have that. Uh, so what can he leverage? Well, he's the one working on the cars. He's a one-man shop. So when he talks to his customers, he doesn't need to do the shop tour. I'm the one touching your car. You're right. talking to the technician. You're talking to the expert. He can leverage that in his advertising, in his marketing. His website says that. Who do, who's actually working on your car? The competitor down the street, you have no idea. You haven't met Rick who's actually touching right. your car. You're talking to the service advisor. Not yep. at my shop. You're talking to the expert directly. And so, again, leverage what you have. It, Absolutely. Control what you can control. You're absolutely right. It should be clean, well-lit, organized. Clean is really important, right? Because you can control that. But if you can't control some of the aesthetics, uh, just because it's expensive, um, right. control what you can control. Leverage what you have. Absolutely. I'm with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Hey, Ron, why purchase a Jasper engine for your customer's car? Uh, the, the main reason we use Jasper is is they're known for quality, and we're known for quality. They line up with my company and my, and my company's commitment to our customers uh, you know, as a product. They're committed to me. Hey, Ron, are customers investing in their vehicle today? Absolutely. You, you know, we, we see the surveys from, from AAA and, and, and all the different people out there where the average age of a car on the road is 11 years old. Some are even saying 12 now. Uh, when you think about that, for every new car sold, that means there's a 22-year-old car being driven on a daily basis. To me, that's amazing. Uh, the only way we get an average age of a vehicle on the road like that is because people are reinvesting in a car. And, and I think the reason they're reinvesting in a car is is the cost of a car. I mean, cars are thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. You know, why not drop four, five, six, eight thousand dollars? into repowering the vehicle and get it back on the road. Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper. Thanks for asking. Greg, you, you used the word mechanic just a bit ago. Yes. It's not like I want to take exception with it, but <laughs> <laughs> the today's episode that went out where we had, uh, uh, we had George Menchu, Scott Brown, Justin Morgan, and Matt Fonslow talking about redefining uh, technician, mechanic, what does it mean, the perception of the... Uh, of sure. No, that's a, that's a great point. But automotive service, are, are we automotive service experts uh, or we want, to, we, want you to be, we want to be your mechanic? So like it or not, and this is, this is the way I look at it, Carm, like it or not, the general public calls what, the, calls what we do, we are mechanics to the general public. You just don't go to a, a cocktail party and people talk about automotive technicians, they talk about automotive mechanics. So I think it's okay to use that terminology uh, with the general public. And I think it's our job to educate them once we build a relationship with them and explain the difference between a mechanic and a technician and why we employ the technicians that we do, what it means as far as their investment in training and tools and diagnostics and, and what it takes to be a modern automotive technician. Um, but the general public, I don't, we have not done a good enough job as an industry to convert that. And people think technician, okay, you know, they're, it doesn't resonate with them like it does in the industry. So I think, I think it's our job once we get them in the door to explain that. And that's part of our shop tour. That's part of our, um, you know, that's part of our process. Once we get them in the door is educating them on the person that's working on their vehicle. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, you're you're capitalizing on the generic terminology that everyone knows us as, and you're converting them not only to be a solid customer and trust you. You're also saying, "This is how we we talk here. We're experts." Right. You, you just met one. Part of part of our training uh, that we do, our service advisor training class. You know, we talk about uh, the value of. ASC eyes. And we actually, one of our slides that Jason has, has a guy with glasses that have the ASC logo. And we're big on, on, you know, having our technicians ASC certified because we use that in our marketing to say, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Customer, the most valuable thing we do is to have an ASC certified technician uh, look at your vehicle. It's not how fast we can do an oil change. It's not how inexpensive we can do the oil change. The most valuable thing we can do is have an ASC certified automotive technician look at your vehicle when it's in for service. Um, and so we really promote the professionalism and the importance of having an expert look at their vehicle. You know, and, and the, the industry is changing quite a bit. You don't hear about this near as much, but certainly over the last 25 years I've been in this business, it's nope, nope, I only fix what the car came in for. I don't look at anything else. Well, what a huge disservice you're doing that customer, right? If you go to a doctor and he you know, sees a big spot on your back that you don't know about. And he just says, nope, you know, you came in for a sore throat. I'm not even going to look at that spot. I'd be upset, right? I want somebody to holistically look over everything and make sure that my body's in good shape. And that's the kind of, that's how we portray that to our, our clients is, hey, you know, our responsibility is that you leave with a safer, more reliable vehicle than what you came in. And in order to do that, we inspect your vehicle and we educate you. We let you know what's going on. But ultimately, it is your decision on what you want to do. Let me ask both of you a, a question and it, kind of a side thought here, but but uh, my mind's kind of working hard about uh, scheduling maintenance. Before your customers leave, do they get their next appointment? Well, we tested it out and uh, we didn't get very good response. Uh, some of my very, very best customers were uh, slightly insulted uh, that we were pre-scheduling. It's like, I'll call you when I need it. Um, do we do uh, a lot of follow-up? Yes, we do a tremendous amount of follow-up. Uh, we put them on an automated campaign to make sure that we get in front of them when those three months are up or six months, depending on when they need to come back in. We get in front of them over and over and over and over again uh, so they don't forget us because that's usually what happens is they end up forgetting you. So the follow-up process is, is uh, pretty thorough. We don't pre-schedule. But that works in other shops. I know it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, uh, we don't do it in the formal way. Um, I, I've talked to a shop owner that literally gives a toothbrush to every person says, Hey, we're like the dentist. Um, I haven't ever tried that. I, I think it's kind of a cool idea, but um, we, we've, we've touched on it, but we've never truly made it part of our policy. Um, but uh, like David was saying, we use technology. Um, you know, we, we have a, a CRM program that continually is to continues to touch people with either a postcard a text message, an email, and we will continue to touch them, not on a on an annoying basis, but on a, a regular monthly basis that we go out 12 months and make sure that they don't forget about us. I heard a great story this past weekend. I was up in Lake Louise, and uh, what a most gorgeous place. If I ever die and go to heaven and open my eyes, I'd want it to be Lake Louise, <laughs> by the way. I was in the Canadian Rockies, Greg. And uh, th there was a great discussion going on about this whole, you know, scheduled maintenance and the dentist I issue, the dentist analogy. And I couldn't help but, you know, come come away. I love the, tooth the toothbrush idea. 
but the dentists 35 years ago were doing just what you guys do. They were dealing with breakdowns, all the problems mm-hmm. that people would had, and they had the high, one of the highest suicide rates in in any industry because they were wow. they were always living under this in, uh, immense amount of pressure. Of every time someone came in, they were in pain. They needed <laughs> they needed they needed help, help. Next one, next one, next one, and they realized that there was only one way they were going to do it. Let's let's get people's teeth healthier. Let's right. we, we're going to schedule X amount of time every day for the breakdowns, but we want to take care of people's teeth. And I think it's the greatest idea. Well, why are you, why do you, why do you want me to schedule? Just like the dentists do, we're not looking for breakdowns. Yeah. We, we teach, uh, in our class. And then, uh, obviously it's a practice that we have at Aspen is we're, we're trying to educate the customer that we want you to be in financial control of your vehicle, not the other way around. So when you don't do maintenance, your vehicle is in control. And believe me, it's going to be, you know, the week before Christmas when your car is going to break down um, instead of doing preventative, preventative maintenance. And, and you know, has anybody ever asked the customer, hey, you know when, you know when a battery is most likely to fail? Some cold morning when, you, when you're late for work, right? So why not let us test your battery? And uh, if it's seen that it's on, on the decline, we'll give you the choice to replace it now before... Uh, we have to send the tow truck to your house. Just simple things like that that people don't think about to get them in the proactive mindset. And and you're going to have people that just, they'll never get it. They'll only come in when they got a problem, just like the dentist, um, just like a doctor's office. But, you know, there are general public that once you start educating them on this thing, they will turn the corner and, and become maintenance customers. It's almost like a full-time job for the service advisor, the service writer to be in this education mode all the time. Absolutely. It's uh, setting the expectation to the customer. Uh, that's absolutely right. Even if you don't do the, I'm going to set the appointment thing uh, for you, you'd let them know, hey, we're going to reach out when it's due for service just to remind you that the car needs to be serviced again. If you set that expectation, they're at least looking for it. They keep it at top of mind. And then again, stay in front of them on a consistent basis. Conditioning. Conditioning is exactly right. Yeah. And it's, I can't help but think, um, I said no to the scheduled appointment, and I'm driving home. The experience was great. The QC was right. I felt good about this interaction with the shop. Now I get a chance to think what I said yes to, what I said no to. And I'm saying, well, they really want my business. They really care about me. That whole safety and reliability thing. It's something I've really never bought into. But you know what? They're right. Mm-hmm. And that's why you can never stop doing that. I don't know if you saw, we have a, a Mike Cooper, you know, saying it's all about selling the why. Yeah. And that's, yeah. it, that is so true. You know, why should they schedule next appointment? Because everybody's busy and we forget. And once in a while you do offend somebody like, like David was saying, but um, you know, for me, I'm thankful that my dentist pre-schedules my next appointment because six months could go by a year. I mean, it, this happened to me. I, I didn't make my six month appointment and it was like two years later before I finally made it back in. And I was like, ooh, that's not good. Don't let this happen again. Uh, so a lot of people appreciate the reminder because, you know, the, the sticker up in the corner, how many, how many times have we pulled that oil chain sticker down and seen it's four, five, six, ten thousand 10,000 miles past due? And you're like, oh, goodly, we, we should have uh, done a better job. They don't realize it, but it's going to hurt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, David, uh, if you're going to have a a marketing campaign or a marketing focus, you really got to know what kind of business you're in. What's your business model? 
Yeah, I think that dictates the type of marketing that you're going to do. Because again, if you're going to if you're going to f- chase after the fat part of the bell curve, then you're going to have one type of marketing. You can you can make the marketing really general. Um, you can use a lot of discounts because again, you're just trying to drive traffic, and it doesn't matter who comes in as long as they have some money to spend. You get them in the door as quickly as possible and sell to them as quickly as possible, and then back out the door, rinse and repeat. Uh, if you're, however, uh, you don't want that model, which good or bad, it doesn't matter. You decide for yourself. If you want to uh, start chasing those long tails, uh, then yeah, your marketing becomes very specific. It becomes tailored to the type of person you want to bring in the door. Just like Greg was saying, the person is predisposed to accept your advice on making sure they come back in for uh, additional services or for regular maintenance. They're predisposed because you brought in the exact right person that you want to bring in, somebody that's going to know and trust you and build rapport with you very quickly uh, because you have shared common interests or whatever, uh, and you have all that baked into your marketing uh, already. So I, I think the idea that you just need to blast out information or blast out advertising to everybody and then kind of start weeding them out uh, once they come in is not necessarily the case. Uh, I think you can tailor your marketing to specifically bring in the type of person that you want. Uh, and, and not just in message and style, but media too. If you're not pulling in the right person through Google, then maybe you need to not use Google anymore. And the idea that everybody uses Google, right, um, is false. If you're not pulling in the right type of lead, Move away from it. Find something else uh, and start pulling in people that you do want to pull in. Stop spraying and almost get that, you know, that rifle. Spraying with and spraying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the, get the rifle with the sight on it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. We help a lot of people with their marketing strategy. And, you know, like David said, it, it's not necessarily right or wrong. Um, you know, there's people that, because of the demographic where they've chosen to put their, put their shop and they've purchased the, the, the real estate instead of leasing it. And so they feel like they're stuck there. They may not have the clientele within that three to five mile radius that fits their business model. And so sometimes they have to go after that lower average repair order, higher uh, car count type model because of the demographics that they happen to choose to put their shop in. So I've learned over and over in the years and, and the shop that I personally own, the, the property that I own, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't own that property um, because it is the I'm in a lower demographic. Um, it is my lowest demographic shop in town. And we have to adjust the marketing a little bit more than we do at uh, my other shops that are in a much higher demographic. Common sense, boy, common sense. Hey, Greg, let's uh, jump into um, giving them a reason to return. Sure. So uh, obviously you want to make sure that they're the type of customer you want to return. So I'll, I'll put that out there. You don't want everybody to return. The caveat. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, and you know, th- there's, there's, and you know, there's great debate within the industry between industry leaders on, you know, filter, do you filter people on the phone or do you filter people once they come in the shop? My philosophy is a little bit more towards filter them once they come in the shop. Um, you know, I don't believe that everybody that calls your shop asking for price uh, are are the bottom feeders. I think they just don't know what else to ask. So my goal, let's get the car in the shop. Let's introduce, let's build a rapport with that customer and find out after, at that point, let's make the decision of how hard we want to work um, to get them back in. So 
we've heard this from everybody. You know, one of the biggest mistakes we make in the industry is, hey, Mr. Jones came in for the twenty four ninety five oil change coupon we sent out. Uh, we do a thorough inspection. We find $4,000 worth of work. The technician pulls it around an hour and 15 minutes afterwards because it took that long to do the inspection and then build this monster estimate. And then we talk to them at the counter and then we're surprised. We call them a bottom feeder because they never come back. And they, meanwhile, go back to their uh, place of employment or home and go, good golly, I'm never going back there. You know, I came in for an oil change. They tried to sell me $4,000. That does not mean that that person didn't truly need $4,000 worth of work. But it's how you explain it and how you educate that customer and having a, having a process to uh, bring customer that information without feeling like you're trying to sell them $4,000 worth of work. So that's probably one of the biggest things that I see um, that people need to change. Greg, do you, do you break it down into critical must-dos and nice-to-have? Is, is, is that kind of how you work it out? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and always started, always leading, unless the cars just absolutely should go to the junkyard, which most of them don't, leading with something good about their vehicle. You know, hey, Mr. Jones, you're, you're, and, and I think for those of us that do a lot of BMW work, you know, having a, <laughs> having a $3,000 estimate is not like out of the picture, but letting them know, hey, you know, overall your car's in great shape. You know, we've checked the suspension, the brakes, the tires, um, you know, the, the, the engine runs like a sewing machine. Um, it's not going to continue to run like that if, if we don't get some of these oil leaks and coolant leaks fixed um, because that's what you know your vehicle needs to run on. But overall, you've got a solid foundation. You've got a fantastic car. Letting them know that they, they have a good investment. They have a good product to invest further in. Um, a lot of people, you know, they, they get a big estimate and they're like, oh gosh, my car's, a, um, you know, falling apart. I'm just going to go trade it in and get a new one, which is even more of a realistic issue that we have because we're in a pretty good economy and people can afford a new car payment. You know, back in 9, 10, 11, 12, um, uh, you know, people were holding onto their cars longer. We could, you know, even though, you know, people argue about the economy affecting their business, those were some of our best years ever because people were fixing cars. But anyway, I get off track. Um, so we address the 800 pound gorilla. We let people know, look, we don't expect you to just all of a sudden trust us as your new mechanic after one visit. We are here for the long, heart, long haul and we're willing to do, make the effort on our part to build the relationship with you. And I want to know, I want to know how well are we doing at building uh, trust with you, Mr. Jones, that brought your vehicle in uh, for service. And so, you know, that I, I'm a big believer in, in digital vehicle inspections. I believe that. Uh, is a trust building, uh, the shop tours where they get to meet the technician, uh, having the technician willing to walk through the inspection with the person, I think is an important part of it. Uh, the, the transparency, they, they don't, you know, I, I was at a, doing some consulting work for shop the, a couple weeks ago and they had that big nasty, our insurance says you're not allowed back here. We're going to shoot you on site, you know, uh, on their door. And it's like, take that thing down, you know, People, you know, put safety glasses on, escort them with your service advisor, and it's okay that they're in your shop. Um, it's okay. You, you, if they feel that you're being transparent, they're going to be more transparent. And so it's really goes back to building that rapport. Um, so those are, those are just some of the things, you know, if they are a, a customer that we do want to return, you know, we, we have a, a, pre, a pre-sold, discounted pre-selling oil changes. So we can sell them a package that they can, they can purchase at the during checkout so they can bring their vehicle back in because we know that it's going to take a couple times. Like I said, in the beginning um, with the, with the, the red folder, we know that we could do a really good job on the first visit, 
but that's not enough. We've got to do a really good job for three or four visits to really build and solidify that relationship. You need to do a very good job on every transaction. Every transaction. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not going to say we're 100%, but the service advisors, it's, it's their responsibility to call that customer after three days and just check in on them. Say, hey, you know, I want just, you know, I know you had your vehicle serviced, want to check in, make sure everything's working well, see if there's anything we can do better. Even if you leave a message, that's a powerful thing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you want that first impression, you know, you can't, you can't replace that. You can't do that over. So that's super important. That's where automation helps, right? right? They have an automated process immediately after the service. They get an email. The email outlines what the follow-up process is. And then we call and make sure everything's great. We ask for some feedback. That's how we build. That's how we get most of our new customers is just get having a really good online presence with really good reviews and consistent and timely reviews, right? You don't want to have the review from three years ago be your only good review. Right. Um, so we, we, we do that with every single customer, uh, but automating all that helps. David, should we spend money on branding? No. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Did you hear that? No. <laughs> no. So uh, you do spend money on branding. Like Greg's shop is, is gorgeous, right? And that's all branding. He's going to pull in a certain type of customer. Anybody that looks him up at no point is going to go, that's a cheap shop. I'm going to right. get a discounted deal if I go there, <laughs> right? So that's all part of the branding. But should you be doing paid advertising for the, for the sake of getting your name out there? I hear that all the time. It drives me nuts. No, no. You want, uh, again, Dan Kennedy, if you've got his books, you understand direct response marketing, right? It should be, it should be, uh, it should solicit a specific response from the person seeing that advertising. If it's the right person and it's the right offer, they should be able to act on it. And that's the only type of advertising, paid advertising that a shop should do. There's a lot of free stuff, social media, YouTube. There's a ton of free stuff that you can do. It takes a lot of work though. And right. a lot of consistent work, right? That's why that's at the very beginning. We said you can't, you have to buy your new customers. You can either put a ton of work in to building this huge online presence, which is great. It's easy or it's, it's not, it's simple. It's just a lot of work, right? Uh, or you can just buy your, your new customers. Uh, it's one or the other, but either way, you're going to be putting in a ton of work or you're going to be, uh, you're going to be paying for them. Uh, but you should, at no point should you be paying to just get your name out there. Um, unless, you know, just think of something like the t-shirts, right? For the local softball team. <clears throat> Do not consider that advertising. Like, okay, if you want to put it on the P&Ls uh, as advertising, I get it. But <clears throat> do not consider that ad as uh, advertising unless you have some kind of offer on the back or some special website with a landing page for them to go to. If they see this, see this, go here and get a special offer. Uh, it, that's not advertising. That does not get your name out there. People aren't going to remember. You're not Nike. You're not Goodyear. You're not <laughs> Starbucks. Right. You're not, you're not going to be sponsoring the halftime show at the Super Bowl like Pepsi does, right? That's all branding stuff. It doesn't solicit a direct response from the people watching it. Uh, they're just hoping that if we associate our name with this great event, you'll get the warm and fuzzies and maybe think warmly about Pepsi and buy a Pepsi. Uh, but that's spray and pray. Like, that doesn't work for small But I have to have a good brand in the eye of the customer. They, they, they have to feel comfortable with my image. Oh, absolutely. That's in rapport building, though. So having a good, solid online presence, having a solid online presence, 
period, right? So you want to have a good, a nice website. It doesn't have to be expensive. You don't spend $15,000 on a website, but it has to be a nice website. It has to be personal, right? It has to look like your website. It can't be, look like the, you know, the parts store down the street sold me this website and 15 other shops this website. And if you go to 15 other shops, it looks exactly the same. Just the name on the top is different. You, so you have to have at least a personal website. You have to have good solid reviews, uh, good, good name in the community. All that's brand building. Um, but it doesn't, it does it cost? Sure. Uh, but it's not, you're not buying like Facebook ads just to get your name in front of people as they're scrolling through their Facebook feed. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm talking about. You, you do have to actually have a business that people want to go to, right? It has to be warm, inviting, friendly, and it has to attract a certain type of person. Um, and that, that all, that is all part of brand building, but it's not, it's not buying Facebook ads just to get your name out there. That's insane to me. Right. Unless there's an offer on it, like, what are you doing? Like, you're just wasting money. So all, all you're doing because people are going to forget. They're bombarded with 10,000 messages a day. They're not going to remember you. You're this random Facebook ad that you have no offer on that. Hey, we work on cars <laughs> with a generic picture of a car. It's like, great. Okay. Wonderful. And then they'll That's- see five more just like it. Like, what right. are you doing spending money on that for? And then what's the first thing they say? Well, Facebook ads don't work. I tried that. <laughs> no. And I agree a hundred percent with David. It sounds like we've, uh, gone to the same schooling, you know, uh, having, having an offer with an, or with having an ad with an offer, you're organically going to be branding, but you need to have a reason for that person to respond. Daniel Costa in the, uh, zoom chat says, guys, how to qualify a customer on the phone. Can you give us a a tip or two? I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can. You have no idea. Look, if you're doing proper marketing on the front end, right. And you're, you're, you're going through the right avenues. Uh, you're not doing the spray and pray method, but maybe you are. If you're doing the spray and pray method, if you're just bombarding an area with direct mailers, right, and you're sending 5,000 out a month, and to everybody, you know, and, and the idea is that I'm just going to only go after people that make $50,000 a year, some arbitrary number, fine, whatever. But you're going to be blasting out literally everybody. Then you can't do any kind of qualification on the phone because anybody could be your customer. And so they call up, you just say, yeah, come on, bring it down. And then that's it. That makes lead conversion really easy. You just say yes to everybody because you're literally marketing to everybody. If, however, you are a lot more uh, precise with your marketing, again, chasing those long tails, um, there's no way to qualify. You've done it on the front end. You've been marketing uh, through specific media methods that attracts a certain kind of person because you've isolated down your ideal target audience and you know that they are this type of person making this kind of money, doing this kind of work, driving this kind of car that have these interests. And you're going to attract more of those people. So again, you can't qualify them immediately on the phone. You just have to know, hey, my marketing is working and I'm going to bring a certain type of person. But past that, there's there's no qualifying them on the phone. And you follow the the proper scripting and build rapport with them on the phone, build uh, confidence in both your company and the person that's talking on the phone and in your product that you can actually help them, right? Fix their pain point. Uh, if you've got all that built into you, the phone, the person's going to come in and there's no qualifying them on the phone. I don't think. So uh, when I say qualifying on the phone, um, and, and again, this is going back to a lot of the coaching uh, calls and, and we do, you know, as a, as transformers Institute, we also offer uh, direct mail as part of our service offerings. 
And so a lot of times people will say, hey, I don't think my direct mail is working like it should. And then we'll listen to phone calls and, you know, kind of the internal phraseology and, and Jason teaches this in our service advisor training is that's because the, the shop has built the Great Wall of China around their shop. And he actually has a slide with the Great Wall of China. And what he's referring to um, is people are over pre-qualifying. And, and the biggest way that we see that is uh, they're quoting a pretty high number uh, on the phone before they're allowed to come in the shop. And one example that we had, he was listening to a phone call, is somebody said, hey, you know, I, I want an estimate on my shocks and struts. You know, I think my ride isn't isn't as comfortable as it used to be. And that shop said, no, no problem. They scheduled the appointment. And then the advisor at the very last part of it said, oh, by the way, there's a $75 inspection fee. And he's like, really? And an inspection fee? Because I want an estimate on shocks and struts. Yes, sir. Every car that comes in here, we charge a minimum of $75 to look at your vehicle. And guess what happened? Okay, thanks. Bye. Car never came in. And and Jason told me, he goes, Greg, we could literally build a shop in his parking lot. And this is a successful shop. I mean, it's not, they weren't, you know, they, these, these guys have a successful shop. But he goes, we could literally build a shop in their parking lot with the repair work that they're turning away because of this gateway that they're requiring people to overcome, which is a $75, $125 uh, fee just to literally come in the door for whatever problem they might be having. So that's what I mean by pre-qualifying is they, they think putting a dollar amount out there, if they're not willing to spend some money upfront and they're told that upfront, then they're probably not our customer. Arbitrarily <laughs> choosing, right? That's the problem is they're arbitrarily choosing, oh, this guy doesn't sound like he's going to buy anything. So I'm going to start throwing dollar amounts out there to, to, to yeah, pre-qualify them. <laughs> Again, that talks about lead conversion, lead, lead generation, right? You're spending this money on this, on this direct mailer. You better convert the leads. Right. All that's going to do is drive up your cost per sale, right? And you're going to be sending so much money because you were only able to convert 10, 15, 20% of those leads when you should have been converting 50, 60, 70% of those leads. So why spend the money on the marketing, right? It doesn't make any sense. Right. But you're absolutely right. I, I 100% agree with you. They have to make it easy to do business with you. Then uh, otherwise, what's the point, right? Guys, uh, th this was this was fabulous. I am thrilled with your contributions here for the Tunnel Academy. And I couldn't help but think as I'm listening to both of you and watching your passion Geez, look, I couldn't have two better guys to come on here and, and give their perspectives. I was thinking about, okay, you're CEOs of your companies. Hmm. I know, Greg, you were a, 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 a master mechanic, and, and David, <laughs> you too. Take me to the day that you realized you had to be the marketer of your company, and we've got a few minutes left. So g give, give some encouragement to, to the listeners out there to say, hey, listen, you're the CEO now, and this you got to get yourself up and over the hump. And maybe you, you said it earlier, Greg, take your toolbox home and realize you have other duties in the company. Uh, you know, so how do we end up becoming a master marketers to help build new customers? So I opened up my, my business uh, almost seven years ago, and uh, I just found a space. I was looking, I was hunting, and the first space that they're like, oh, yeah, come on down. Uh, I, that's where I moved into. No street presence, no online presence, nothing from scratch with zero customers on my list. And as we started building the business up and started adding processes and stuff, look, I was fighting car count. And I started chasing uh, marketing information. How do I market to find more people to come to my business? And I wasn't getting good, clear answers. You know, they were like, oh, just send more mailers out. So do this, do that. They were just giving me lots of media choices. They're like, oh, Google AdWords or Facebook ads or whatever, right? 
but they never gave me the macro level view. They never said, hey, start chasing those long tails. Hey, specify your marketing, right? There's a story about a, a chiropractor. I'll, I'll try to make this short. There's a story about a chiropractor uh, who would go in, build a business really, really quickly, scale it to seven figures and turn around and sell it. Mm. And he kept doing it over and over and over again. And he got really popular uh, and, and, and really famous for scaling these businesses really quickly. And people started coming up and asking him, how do you find so many new customers? And I think his record was uh, something like, don't hold me to this number, it's like 347 new customers in one single month. And so they, the question was, how do you find 347 new customers? And he goes, well, I don't know any one way to find 347 new customers, <laughs> but I do know 347 ways to find one new customer. And once I started digging and finding, you know, I found Dan Kennedy, I found Seth Godin, and I started immersing myself in this information. And I realized, I mean, the light bulb just went off. I've got to be a really, really good marketer. I've got to be passionate about this. I've got to know what I'm doing uh, to be able to make sure that I never chase cars ever again. Like I know I can turn it up and down as I need to and worry about other aspects of my business, but not the marketing. Um, and it, for me to have actually a successful business, I've got to be able to market effectively. Uh, that made all the difference for me. Finding those people, uh, reading their material, uh, and just immersing myself in it every single day uh, made all the difference for me. It wasn't going to hit you like a lightning bolt. You had to reach out and get it. I had to chase it down, like tackle it, <laughs> start shaking it. Tell me what you know, <laughs> because I'm telling you like, you know, and, and look, I have nothing against the coaching companies out there. I've been with several of them. Good, Greg, I know people that are in your group, and they absolutely love Transformers. They they rave about it. They really do. Um, <laughs> Good to but, hear. And I have no uh, connection with Greg or, or no anything about it the, other than what I've talked to other shop owners. But when I went looking for a coaching company, the first thing I asked them was, Tell me about your marketing strategies. Tell me how to market my business. What can you help me marketing-wise? Because everybody can help you with the back-end stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. there are only few uh, coaching companies that would actually even address it. Most of them would just go to try it into, oh, we got we do direct mail and we have a lot of direct mail specials and or we can help you with text message blasts and this, that, and the other. At no point did anybody talk about, well, let's kind of figure out who your target audience is. Let's come up with the right media and the right message to make sure that you're fun funneling in the right people. And let's look at 17, 20, 25 different ways to attract one customer at a time every single month. Nobody said anything like that. Um, and that, that was my frustration with, uh, with all of the industry information out there. Everything was built to work on the back end. But I will say this real quick, just real quick. One thing, you find out that most shops don't have a lead generation problem. I was sort of unique. I just wasn't getting enough phone calls. Turns out most shops have plenty of phone calls and just terrible at the phone and can't convert those phone calls into appointments. So I can see why most coaching companies go after that. It's low-hanging fruit. I get it. I agree. So I was probably about a year into business. Um, and for those of you who don't know my background, I started out, you know, basically as a GS in a air-cooled Volkswagen shop um, and worked my way up, got factory trained from the dealership, got my ASC master technician. So I really prided myself on being a great technician. Uh, then I moved into management, you know, learned service advising and, and running a shop. And so I got pretty good at that. Um, and I remember I was, this is probably 20 years ago. Um, we were talking ad strategy with the owner of the shop I was managing. 
And I said, you know what? And this was a specialty shop. We worked on probably four or five different brands of cars. And I said, you know, everybody's spending thousands of dollars on these big full page ads in the phone book. I said, what if we took that money and, you know, like one of the cars we worked on were Volvos. And I said, what if we put, you know, Volvo independent service, we put it. So if somebody's scrolling down the yellow pages looking for the dealership, this is pre, you know, really internet days, they've scrolled down and see Volvo thinking they might be calling in the dealer. It was close enough to be a dealer ad without crossing the line where we got sued by Volvo. And sure enough, man, the phone just rung off the hook. Oh, you guys work on Volvos. You guys work on Volvos. So I saw that how important it is for the message and the customer that we're going after. Because if we had just run a big full page ad, we would have been, you know, like everybody else, 60% of our, our client, 60% of the people would have seen that ad are drive Fords and Chevys and Chrysler's and cars that we didn't work on. So we're just throwing money away. But if we targeted Google must've stole that idea from you. Yes, they did. They did. I haven't got my, <laughs> I, got, I haven't got my reimbursement check for that, but um, so when I went into my own shop, I'm like, you know, I had probably 12 different vehicles, expert service, this expert service, that, um, instead of spending the big money on the big ad, which A, I couldn't afford to, and B, it, it, I knew that it wasn't going to be near as effective. So that was really between that and the B&I group that I joined back in the day. And, and the, you know, the story is literally, I got invited to this B&I meeting. I didn't even have business cards. So I went to Home Depot or Home Depot, whatever the, <laughs> uh, the office supply office. store and printed off. And I had those cards that you had that they had, you could tell they tore them off because they had the little perforations. You know, that's how bad it was. Um, but there were some people that talked, you know, there were some marketing people in the B&I group. So I began to, to uh, gravitate towards the marketing side of the business. And I'll, I'll wrap this up real quick. I'm at a shop. I'm about a year into business. I go tour this other guy's shop that's probably three quarters of a mile away from me. And this guy's got a beautiful shop, way more equipment than I do, way better location than I do. And we're talking and I found out, you know, and he did some direct mail, but he didn't, he, he was one of those guys that did not believe in inspecting the vehicles, only bringing in, you know, uh, for what they brought it in for. And he's doing like $40,000 a month. And I'm like thinking that this guy's this incredible business owner, incredible shop. And I'm doing $60,000 a month. And I was like, wow. And I really, at that point, it was a, it was a light bulb because I do better at marketing. I wasn't better at fixing cars than him because he was fully, you know, he had better equipment than I did. I was better at marketing and getting people to come in the door than he was. And fast forward, probably 10 years later, uh, I ended up buying, he went out of business. I bought his phone number, database, uh, and absorbed his business. And now he's uh, a manager of somebody else's shop. So uh, that was a real, real baptism into you better learn how to market even better than you, uh, even more important than learning how to fix a car or having the very best alignment machine that money can buy. So I, I think I believe in both quick, now, but really, really quick. I want to make sure everybody gets that nugget that Greg gave out there and threw out there for free. What are the like <laughs> two most expensive AdWords that that uh, on Google right now? Just look it up, but like go to semrush.com or one of those websites and look to see what the most expensive. It's always auto repair and like brake service mm. in everybody's area. What are you doing, right? Well, what did he just say? He looked out. He went after a specific type of owner with a specific brand with a specific message. Hey, we do. We're an independent Volvo dealer, and that's what he went after. And he started in the. Uh, he started generating a bunch of new calls from that. Should be doing the same thing on Google. Google's no different. Right. Uh, you know why are you going after auto repair? Everybody's going after auto repair. It's eight dollars a click. Right. Why are you chasing that? 
Yeah, we have 150 different landing pages that are long tail specific. Wow, uh, this was priceless, this this conversation. Thank you so much, Greg Bunch, Espen Auto Clinic and Transformers Institute, and David Roman, done with Care Auto Repair in Merriam, Kansas. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 